Good morning, church family. It's a, um, an honor, a blessing to be with you this morning. If, if you're new with us, we want to welcome you here. This is an opportunity that we have to think about, to share, and get sharpened by God's Word, the Bible. And even saying that, um, it might seem for some of you who are just starting to explore Christianity, a little bit odd or presumptuous that we would call this, among all the books ever written in history, God's word, like this is exclusively God's word to us. And there's a whole group of us this morning that count on that, like count on God to speak, to encourage, to challenge us this new week. But for some of you, you might feel like, well, that's, I'm not sure about that. So um, let me invite you into conversation. I would love to have a personal conversation. I know many of the people around you would love to talk to you about that, about how they came to that conclusion that this is actually God's word. Of course, um, the Bible, if you don't know, it speaks to that about itself. It says that it's true. It is God's very word. It's not just people writing about God or, um, or just writing about their own imaginations, but it's actually God's spirit driving, driving these words to speak to you. And, uh, and they are true and faithful, but that's just the self-authenticating part of God's word, right? That's what it says about itself. But we also know about the whole witness of human history, how it's been proven out to be God's word. And we also know about the archaeological history and the evidences of history itself, like that Jesus actually was a historical figure that, that came and lived a perfect life and, and rose on the third day after he was crucified for us. And there's all these people around you this morning that have personally experienced the veracity of God's word, the truth, and the power of God's word. But let me just invite you, beyond all those things, to simply get into the Bible yourself, discover it, the power of it yourself, to to start reading it and sensing and knowing then in your heart that this is beyond just mere words. It's something that God wants to use as a tool to speak and grab you and have relationship between you and the living Lord God. So, So let me invite you to start reading. And if you don't have a place to start, let me invite you to read, start in one of the Gospels in the New Testament, the book of John, or perhaps the book of Luke. We are today, this morning, ending in one of our book studies. It's in the book of Colossians. I want to invite you to turn your Bible open to Colossians chapter 4. At the beginning of uh, our study today, we're going to just read it, the passage to us. Colossians 4, verse 7 to the end, verse 18. And if you've missed part of the study in Colossians, just so you know ahead of time, it's been this wonderful book revealing like, things that we might not have understood about the person of Jesus Christ, chapter 1, especially verses 15 through 20, about who we are and how we relate to God and to one another. It's just really a precious book. But here we find at the very end some statements about teamwork, 
about who we are as a team individually and how we fit together and what God wants to do using people from different cultures and capacities and giftings and even faithfulness to God and weaving them together to be a force. This force, this group of people we're going to learn about, hear about, they were people who changed the Roman Empire, who changed the course of history because God was using them, working through them. So I'm going to read these verses, and then we're going to dive into the study of it. This is the word of God for us this morning, starting in verse 7 of chapter 4 of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, we provided some around you, and you can always look online. So Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him here to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is God's word to us. Now, this is the end of the letter, and some of us, when we read some of Paul's letters, uh, when he starts giving a list of names and people he's wanting to point out, we just skip over that and get to the, like, we want the meat, right? We want the, the stuff that he's teaching out, and we'll skip over some of these texts. But this one, I think, in particular, is really and strongly encouraging to us, because I think as its central theme, it tells us that following Jesus is best done together. We really need each other. Paul really needed each person on this team. Their different wiring, their background, their story. And all together, they as a team would affect their region for the kingdom of God. Just like all together, we as a team, you and and I and every person that you see in this room and all the people in the first service and the people in the other language fellowships, we together as bridges have been called together by God to affect what happens in the Tri-Cities for eternity. And so we have this privilege of being woven together as a team. Last week, uh, in the game played by the Los Angeles Chargers, it just pains me to say Los Angeles Chargers, because I used to root for the San Diego Chargers. But in, the, in their game, Philip Rivers, their quarterback, he, threw, he, he actually threw for an NFL record. He threw 25 completions in a row. And in the game, he threw 28 out of 29 completions. That's, that's a really, really difficult thing to do. 25 in a row had never been done in football history. And he set this mark, and they were interviewing him afterwards. 
And he went to great pains to say, this is something that we did together. It wasn't just me, right? It was, it was all of us together. Because he knew he, he depended on the offensive line to block. He would have never been able to complete one pass if they would all have said, yeah, just go ahead and crush him, right? He would have never been able to do anything if his receivers didn't run the right routes, some of them as decoys and some of them as primary receivers. He would have never been able to do it if his coaches didn't have a good game plan and understand the weaknesses of the opposition and be able to get at it. So he said, he went to great lengths to say, I needed everybody. This was a we record. Like all of us did this together as a team. Spoke to the power of team. And this is what this text does for us this morning. It challenges us to say everybody here, every person here matters. And every person here matters to the team that we all bring our strengths and our weaknesses, our history, our story together And together, we as a team can do great things, can do things beyond what we would imagine because God's working together through us. And he uses people over here, your strengths and your giftings that he gives. And he uses people up on the far balcony there in the cheap seats, right? He uses all of us together as the the family of God, as a team, together working. There is a beauty in your life that you might not have considered deeply. That God, in his great plan, has called you here for this moment, this season of life together. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, I, you have not chosen me. Interesting. Like he's speaking to the disciples and he said, this wasn't your choice first. Some of us have this presumption that we get to choose Jesus. But he said, actually, no, it's the other way around. I chose you. Even when you were far from me, when you were rebels in your heart, I still looked down, I loved you, and I chose you. So he says, you have not chosen me. I chose you and appointed you. That is, the word means I strategically placed you so that you may bear fruit in my name. I have a purpose for you, that you may affect people around you in your neighborhood, your place of work, your place of school, and that, that you would be for me, someone who makes an eternal difference. And you cannot do that by yourself. See, the great metaphor for us together that Paul writes about in the book of Romans and again in 1 Corinthians is that we are a body. And each one of us depends on the functioning of one another. I can't survive without Harry. And Harry cannot survive without you. We together are this team that together God uses in powerful, strategic ways. And he strategically places each one of us on the team. He does that for his good purposes. He strategically and intentionally places you on this team. Did you know that? That you are called by the living God here for this moment together, that we together can use our gifts to affect great things for the kingdom of God? I'm pressing this point because the Bible makes a point of it. That if you try to do it by yourself, you'll fail. You'll struggle. All kinds of people through the course of history have struggled trying to do the Lone Ranger thing. Think of the moments where you see even the great heroes in Scripture, Elijah or Jonah or whomever, and they struggle when they try to do it by themselves or get off away from other believers and off the team. But the people, when they step into the team, they can do great things for the power of God. It wasn't that the disciples, the first disciples, had these amazing gifts and intellects. 
It was because God called them together, and together they supported each other and cared for each other and prayed for each other and walked with each other and did ministry as God's Spirit used them. So let's take a closer look at the team here that Paul has around himself. And each member was adding something to the team, or we can see things that will encourage us in Scripture. And the first one that's mentioned is Tychicus. He was one of this band of young men and women that Paul had taken under his wing. He was raising this next generation of leaders. And together they would do all these ministry things. And of course they didn't have colleges or seminaries in that moment. So the way that they multiplied leaders, Paul did, and others would, at Barnabas, they would gather these young, young people together and they would go out on these ministry adventures. And if you read the book of Acts, you're like, whoa, that's amazing what they were doing how God was challenging him and forcing him to like take these steps of faith and moving them forward in, in their walk with him and in their trust of Jesus. And he was using all kinds of different people, and Tychicus is one of them who God uses powerfully. He traveled widely with Paul and was part of this delegation that was chosen to go from the churches of Macedonia to bring encouragement to the church in Jerusalem. He was also one that um, was sent by Paul to Ephesus. When Timothy left his ministry there, he was the one that took over and led the church in Ephesus. And the letter to Titus suggests that Tychicus was also sent to Crete to help establish the church there. He was an encourager. He was someone who would take believers and move them forward. That was his sweet spot. And that was how the role that he played on the team. And notice how Paul describes him. He, he describes him with these, um, with these statements I think that are really encouraging to us to think about how we can play a role on the team. First, he says that he's a beloved brother, and we see kind of the depth of relationship that that team enjoyed. And they loved each other, loved being with each other. Yeah, they, they struggled at times with each other's weaknesses and sinfulness, but, but they were committed each, to each other in this bond of love that they shared, that love of the Lord Jesus and the love for each other. Now, you need to know, if you don't have like the, the wide perspective, there are people here like everyone. This is a body that I love. Some of you, I want you to take a moment and look around the room here. Some of you have history here. Now I'm just talking about a year or two. Some of you have been with us for 30, 40 years, perhaps even more. And you see people around that you know that have been walking with Jesus for this season. You've been partners in ministry together. I was with this lady this, um, this last week. She's in her 90s now, and she's been with our fellowship for the last 45 years. And she was talking about some stories that she had about the ministry partners, the teammates that she so appreciated here with us. That's the story, the legacy that we have here at Bridges, teammates that have worked together for this long season, this long stretch of ministry. And they are beloved, and that's as it should be. We have in this room, some staff members that I absolutely love. I want you to know, I love Pastor Fred. He's so gifted in so many ways that I'm not. He's such a great encourager and a corrector in times of me. There's so many ways that he blesses my life. I love Pastor Harry. I love his giftings. He's gifted in ways that, I, man, I could never do what he does. I love the team that we have here. And I love not just our staff team, but I love this church. Like there are people on the team here in our church that I have come to passionately love. I, I love my elder team. They're such great supporters and encouragers. 
And, and they have this great perspective that brings correction to me and encouragement to me. And I love Bill over here. Like, he does money stuff that I could never do. And he encourages other people around us to be faithful. And Anne sitting next to him who leads the deacon team. I, I love the giftings of this church. And our team, together, you being part of that team, it matters. I can't, I can't do what James does. But together, we work together. And we serve a great God. And maybe you might not think that you are important to the team, but I'm here to tell you that you are. And you're beloved. And Paul says that Tychicus, he speaks to his character, the foundation of his character, that he was a faithful minister, that he was steadfast through the highs and lows. He had seen this guy hang in there when it got tough. That faithfulness was encouraged. In fact, it's one of the the greatest things that we can be called at the end of the day. We want to hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Paul encourages the, the church in Corinth that this is that they were called to be stewards of the mystery of Jesus Christ, and it's required of stewards, it says, to be found faithful. It's not whether you're brilliant or amazingly gifted or talented. That's not the most significant thing. The most significant thing is that you're faithful when it's difficult, when it's hard, when ministry goes tiresome, when you think, oh man, do I have to go to church again, you know? Or all those moments that we can feel like it should be a lesser priority. Faithfulness is what we're called to. Dogged, determined to follow Jesus and to, and to stick with ministry, to encourage other people in the faith. And He's also described as a fellow servant, which speaks not to the quality of his work, but that to the equality of his work, that Paul viewed Tychicus as someone who was just as important as him in the kingdom. And he was a fellow server of Jesus. And that really gets at something fundamental. Paul, Paul never saw himself as the pope of the early church or this great bishop. He saw himself as a fellow minister, a fellow servant And that's what we do. That's what we are. Each one of us, significant on the team, coming alongside one another. If you ever pick up from this church that it's run by one person, you've just got the total wrong perspective. It's not about one person or about even a team of person that plays a particular role. It's about us all together as a team doing what God is calling us to do. This This task that we have in front of us to reach this area for Jesus. We can't do it without the power of the Spirit of God. And we cannot do it without teamwork, without each one of us playing the role that God has called us to. So encourage others with your love and with your faithfulness and with your service. That's what the great model of Tychicus is calling us to. Now you recall a couple weeks ago, Pastor Nate spoke about a second ministry partner that's underlined here by Paul Onesimus who was a man who was a slave and who had apparently left without permission his master and took some goods with him and found himself eventually in Rome where he, where he met Jesus. And he came to faith. And then Paul connected with him. We don't know whether Paul led him to the Lord or what the full story was, but Paul meets this guy and he calls him to move back and go back to Philemon. That's the, the letter of Philemon that was written. And he encourages Philemon to take him as a brother in Christ now. Not as what he once was, but as a brother, true brother in the faith. So he speaks to Onesimus, who is now part of the important team that they are working together 
And he calls Philemon to restore him to the house. But there's a bigger picture that he is being called back to the city of Colossae and to use his story, his story as a slave, to do ministry. Because many of the people in the church at Colossae were slaves. That's, that's who they were. They, were. they were sold out to Jesus or Christ followers. But in the role they played in society, they were still under slavery. And Onesimus has a voice to speak into them. It reminds me that we each have a story, right? You can look around this room, and there's all kinds of stories. People from different parts of the world, people from different socioeconomic strata, different jobs that we hold today, different family stories. Some of you have no kids. Some of you aren't married yet. You're still single. God has called you into singleness. Some of you who have a bunch of kids, maybe your grandparents or great-grandparents, whatever it might be, your story. But in that story, you are called to be a person, to do something that the rest of us can't do. Like, I can't speak to tow truck drivers like Dino can, right? And yesterday, he brought this army of them over here so they could raise a bunch of gifts and we could express our love to this city, people who who don't have the financial capacity to be able to to get gifts for their kids, and we could raise hundreds of gifts and be able to bless hundreds of families with those. I can't do what Dino does. I can't do what Carl does. He is gifted and called in in ways that, that I am not, and he can play a role. He plays a role in this city that I can't play, right? In the food bank and other places that God has called you to, brother. And I don't have that same gifting, but God can use each one of us where we are, with our family, with our history, with our story, at our place of work, and the place that God calls us to, to express the gospel. And together we do this as a team. The next member of this army that, that he's got, this team that Paul has got, I really appreciate it. It's Mark. It's John Mark. If you know a little bit of the story of the book of Acts, John Mark was taken by Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. It's recorded in Acts chapter 13. And he goes in this journey, and all of a sudden things get tough. And what happens? He bails, right? He, he just, he, I don't know what his background was, whether he wasn't prepared for all the challenges of what he's going to step into. And he, he just fails. He, he bails out on him. And later in the book of Acts, Barnabas, who's like, he's, his gift is encouragement, right? He, he wants to grab him and take him on to the next, the next step. And Paul's like, no way, man. That guy failed us once. I don't want him on the team. And they end up like butting heads over it and going different directions. So here, it's interesting, right, to see this guy show up again. And Paul actually affirming John Mark and his importance to the team and what he's got to give to the church. And it's this great story, I believe, of God not only giving second, but second and third and fourth chances to us. That this is how God operates. There's no person here, is there, who hasn't failed, who hasn't struggled with their faith, or, or failed and disappointed people around them, discouraged them. And I, I lead that charge, right? There's all kinds of times where I have fallen short, and yet God would take us, God would take you, God would take me, And he would say, no, I still want to use you. I've chosen you for this team. And that's the story of John Mark, the God of grace. He offers second and even third and fourth chances into infinity. He keeps us for himself to do ministry even when we fail. And it's beautiful to see that Mark receives this second chance by Paul. And if you have failed in the past like me, 
If you have failed either through sinfulness or struggle or lack of faith or lack of faithfulness, listen, this is not the time to mail it in. This is the time to re-engage, to know that God is a God of grace and second and third chances, and he needs you. He wants you, and we as a church need you. Step it up. Like, don't just stand as an observer. Be a part of the team that God has called you to be a part of. And then Paul calls Aristarchus. He calls him, in verse 10, my fellow prisoner. In Philemon, he says the same thing about him. Philemon, verses 23 and 24. We know that Aristarchus had been grabbed by this angry mob in, in the city of Ephesus. And he'd been dragged into the arena in the riot there, Acts chapter 19, that he was a Jewish believer from Thessalonica who traveled with Paul. He was also part of that team that blessed the church in Jerusalem, the needy people in Jerusalem. And it's likely that he went through the shipwreck that we see in Acts 27 with Paul. Tradition says that he was martyred under Nero in the city of Rome, that he lived this amazingly adventurous life, taking these great risks for the kingdom of God. Wouldn't it be cool to be kind of remarked about that? Those things that he was a man who trusted God so much that he would step into these kind of settings, these kind of situations, and let his faith be stretched. We believe that as a team, as a people of God, this is what he would have to do with us. He would keep calling us to places where we would have to depend on him. We'd have to be people of faith, and we'd do that together that he would call us to be people. And some of us, I know, we're super risk avoidant, right? We don't, we don't take any more risk. We just want to be comfortable. But that's not how we follow Jesus together. It's in the middle of the risk that we encourage each other, that we comfort each other, that we support each other, that we call each other to greater faithfulness. This is what the Spirit of God would do for us individually and as a church. And we, that's why it's so important to have the team together so that we can do this together and not individually. So he calls Aristarchus into this great work, this risk work. And the pursuit of the life adventure of following Jesus together is done with abandon. It's done with trusting the Lord. A third member of this Hebrew team, um, Mark and Aristarchus and Jesus, or Justice, is mentioned. And just mentioning that, um, it seems like a throwaway phrase, but when he says they're part of the circumcision, he's talking about them being Hebrews. And it reminds me of Paul's words in Romans chapter 9 and 10, where Paul is grieving over Israel and their lack of actually trusting Jesus and following him. But here are these three guys, this new generation of people who are going to move the gospel forward, these three guys that Paul affirms and he's encouraged by. And in their encouragement, they comfort him. I know that some of you might have come this morning in desperate need of comfort. Your life has been really difficult. You're in the middle of facing family challenges or work challenges or school challenges. You're not telling a whole lot of people, but you're just suffering. You're struggling with it. And some of us are wired to be people of comfort. Some of us have that wiring and gifting, and you have to exercise it as the team, as a teammate. Because those people depend on it. We as a team depend on you exercising your gifting stepping into what God has called you to be. And there's no person who is too young to do that or too old to do that. We're all called as a team to follow the Lord into our place of gifting 
for the sake of the team, for us to do this well together. Next, we encounter Epaphras. The the text says, who was one of you. That is, he is a Colossian. He's a person from Colossae, and he's a servant of Christ Jesus. We've already met him at the beginning of the book, and we discovered that he was the one that established the church in Colossae, and probably also the churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He had carried the gospel all over. When Paul was living in Ephesus, he was part of that team that spread out through all of Asia Minor. And we don't know how Epaphras got to Rome. He may have got there at Paul's invitation. But he's, challenging, he's challenged with some of the same things that Paul is challenged because we're told in the book of Philemon that he's a fellow prisoner. So he's probably under house arrest just like Paul is as well. If that's the case, it would explain why he was unable to go to Colossae. But it also gives us a window in what he was doing because the text says that he was agonizing and he was pouring his heart out into prayer. Like, that was the thing that he was like pouring all of his passion. He couldn't do any, a lot of other things, but he could affect the kingdom of God through his life of prayer. There are some of you who, because of life circumstances, perhaps you are a stay-at-home parent with 17 kids. Maybe not quite that many, but it feels like it at times. Or perhaps you're a senior adult, or perhaps you have some physical limitations where it feels like you can't be a true part of the team. Maybe you've got, you feel like too much schoolwork or too much, I mean, your work is overwhelming you. Listen, you are a vital part of the team and you can passionately pray. Whatever the circumstance you find yourself in, you can passionately pray and agonize over what God is doing and how you can support the brothers and sisters in this fellowship. You can pour yourself out just like this example of Epaphras. Perhaps your chief role in the team right now is to pray with passion and persistence. We need you on the team. We need you to pour out your heart in prayer and engage in the spiritual battle that we're in the middle of. Because prayer is this marvelous provision to release spiritual power into an individual's life, to remove obstacles and to open doors. And we pray this way for one another. Earnestly. We need you this week to pray that God would move us as a church forward, that God would support the individuals of this church. And with Epaphras is linked Luke, the beloved physician, likely a Gentile, because Aristarchus and Mark and Justice were the ones who are identified as the Hebrews. And Luke, of course, was gifted and used by God in a lot of different ways. We don't know about his medical ministry that he probably was engaged in for a a lot of years, but we do know that he was a faithful partner with Paul. In fact, he stayed with Paul throughout many of his journeys and even to the very end. In 2 Timothy, we're told he was there at the very end where Paul is about to be martyred. Luke is there. He's the only guy there, and he's with him through thick and thin. That was his significant ministry, to being a person when the chips were down. He was right there. That's a role that God can call us all into, to step into that kind of lifestyle with one another, brothers and sisters surrounding us on the team, that when things grow really difficult, we're not going anywhere. We're here. Listen, this is a strong word for those of us who live in a consumer-based society, a culture, especially an American Christian culture, where we think, oh, I just didn't like that. Like the music wasn't, like didn't rock enough, so I'm going to go to church B. Or I got irritated by this person at the coffee over there, and so I'm going to go to another church. Listen, every one of us is vital to the team here. We need each other. 
So be faithful. Step into this. When, even when the chips are down with one another, be faithful like Luke was. It's a great model. By contrast, we have another person that is barely mentioned in the text. His name is Demas. And he's mentioned here without a whole lot of comment, kind of in an eloquent silence, I believe. He too was from Thessalonica, and he was part of that original band of people, that um, young men and women that came and went with Paul all over the place. He's not mentioned a whole lot what's going on in his life here, but perhaps he's starting to drift because we do know that Paul says later on when he writes in the letter to Timothy that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present age, and he's gone back to Thessalonica. That is, he just got overwhelmed with an affection for the things of the world, for the other stuff, things that like maybe his career or material goods or a relationship that took him away from Jesus and he placed higher priority in things that weren't not Jesus. And he's mentioned, I believe, in an example to us not to be like that, to guard our hearts, to understand that great teammates do guard their hearts, and they don't bail on Jesus, and they don't bail on the team. Then Paul highlights, interestingly, a woman leader in the church, Nympha, you see here, and the church in her house. Much like Lydia was serving and was a seller of purple, though she led a church, a house church. In the first 250 years, of course, in church history, people didn't have buildings like this. Right? They, they met in homes, life groups. That was the church. And people met in their life groups, and they encouraged each other with the word. They passed along the letters that they were getting in the epistles and the gospels. They started sharpening each other and their faith together. They prayed for each other. They shared community one another with one another, fellowship. And that's how the church blew up. That's how they, they went crazy and multiplied all over the place. That's why our life groups, we believe in our church, are so critical to the spiritual formation of people, the development of you. I know that some of you aren't in a life group. Some of us are growing and encouraged by their life group. Some of you have just felt like, man, you don't, Ron, you have no idea all the pressures in my life, how busy I am at work or how, other, you know, how I need to prioritize other things. I'm here to tell you, if you want to grow in Christ, you need to be connected to a group of people who know you and can encourage you and can be part of your team. And we have a structure for that. We call it life groups. And I want to invite you to take the risk to be a part of that to get signed up, to get connected to another group of people that can pray for you faithfully and, and get into your life and, and know what's going on and support you. So Nympha's playing this leadership role. And at the end of the passage, you'll notice that there's a mention of a mystery letter, a letter to Laodicea. It's not in your Bible, by the way, right? You don't, you don't have the letter to Laodicea here, at least most likely. I say that because many scholars believe that He's referring to the book that we now call Ephesians, which was a circular letter. That is, it went kind of round robin to the churches in the area. The first and the last of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation are, you remember that, that text, uh, the first three chapters of Revelation that speak about the churches there. The first one is Ephesus, and the last one is the church of Laodicea. So it could well have been that this was a circular letter, and that's what the letter that he's talking about. We're not specifically sure. And then finally in this letter, in this text in Colossians, we hear about Archippus. He is mentioned in the book of Philemon and seems to be like the son of Philemon. What we do know about this guy is that he probably wasn't doing what he should have been doing. Like maybe he just got too busy. 
Maybe he was struggling with other things in his life, maybe perhaps sinfulness or maybe discouragement. Maybe he was just depressed and he didn't feel like he could do anything for the kingdom of God. But Paul calls him out here. Paul starts stirring him up to take his place on the team, that he was playing a vital part, and he reminds him to complete the work that God had given to him. He was telling him, Archippus, you're not done yet. Can I say that to you? You're not retired. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. You're not done yet. God has a great future for you and for this church. Listen to the encouragement. Complete the work that God has for you. God has a purpose for you. He's got a gifting for you. He's he's woven your story so that you might be effective for the kingdom of God. You're not done yet. None of us are. We're still taking breath. So Paul's given us this great encouragement about a team. And I'm wondering, if Paul was writing this letter about the people in Fremont, and he mentioned your name, how would he describe you? What would he say about you? Bud Wilkinson, a a football coach from many, many years ago, once said, I define football as 22 people on the field desperately needing rest and 22,000 people in the stands desperately needing exercise. Great, Great description. Don't let it be the description of the church. We can't let that be the description of the church. Where just a few people are expressing the ministry that God has called them to, and the rest of us are just watching it happen. That's not God's design for this church or for any church. He wants you to rise up and to use your gift and your story, how he has wired you, and to use it for the glory of God, for all that you have, for everything that you're worth, and to support the teammates around that we have here in that great work. It's not about the staff. The staff's role here is simply to support the ministry of all the people that we're together doing ministry together. And we're all teammates that play vital roles, fellow servants in the kingdom of God. We have a great future, I believe, until the Lord comes back for us. God has great things in store for this church, for this team that he has called together. We've been in this process of defining what God has for us, and we've been shaping a vision, our vision frame. And by that, we mean what he's called us specifically to be a part of as a mission here, to build bridges, to pursue the life adventure of following Jesus together. That's what we're about together, to build relationships with our neighbors, people at school, friendships in our neighborhood, so that people would understand who Christ is and move into relationship with him and, and embrace him and find grace and forgiveness in him and then grow in their life in Christ. And then we do that together as a team. And we've been thinking about the values. What are those things specifically that we value as a church that God has called us into to affect things for the kingdom of God? And how do we do that? That's our strategy what are the key things we're a part of? And one of them I've already mentioned, that we're a part of these life groups as a hub of our discipleship, how we help people grow in Christ. And finally, what are those measures? How do we know someone is actually growing in Jesus? So we ask these questions of each other, how we're doing, and not just how we're doing in Jesus, but tell me about your time in the Word and how it's refreshing, restoring, and renewing you. And what God's Spirit doing in you recently? Have you listened to Him? Are you sensitive to what God is doing with you? 
And we believe God has this great vision for us as a church. We believe God has a great future. And I want you to be part of it. I want you to step in as a teammate and step right in together with all the other people here that God can unleash for his glory so that people here would know Jesus and we together could celebrate each other and celebrate what God is doing. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you very much for your word, for the example of this great team. Some who struggle with faithfulness, like us, and some who were beloved because of their great faithfulness. And I pray you would call us to that, Lord, that we would be faithful teammates with each other for your honor and your glory. Use us by your spirit, however you might want. And we'll trust you for that. In Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.